and a reading from 1 Corinthians. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some say how can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? <clears throat> if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation has been in vain, and our faith has been in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified of God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have died in Christ have perished. If for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. Word of God, word of life. Grace and peace to you, dear friends, from God and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Some of the most powerful words we hear each week, we speak together. Together, we pray the prayer of the day, the offering prayer, and the post-communion prayer. Together, we confess our sins and receive forgiveness. And together, we confess our faith. The words of the Apostles' Creed make a tremendous statement for us disciples of Jesus Christ. In this short statement of faith, three times we say, I believe. I believe in God, the Father Almighty. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. And I believe in the Holy Spirit. In the second article of the Apostles' Creed, we confess our faith by retelling the story of Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension, and his promised coming, as together we say, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried, he descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. My friends, this is most certainly true. In Martin Luther's small catechism, he explains what this second article means for us when he wrote, I believe that Jesus Christ, true God, begotten of the Father in eternity, and also a true human being born of the Virgin Mary, is my Lord. He has redeemed me, a lost and condemned human being. He has purchased and freed me from all sins, from death, and from the power of the devil, not with gold or silver, but with his holy, precious blood and with his innocent suffering and death. He has done all this 
in order that I may belong to him. Live under him in his kingdom and serve him in eternal righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. Just as he is risen from the dead and lives and rules eternally, this is most certainly true. This week we continue our journey through 1 Corinthians, a letter the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in trouble. The Apostle Paul wrote our scripture for today in chapter 15 to some members of the Corinthian church who doubted the resurrection. They had not seen the resurrected Jesus as the Apostle Paul had. They had not seen Jesus living, complete, and whole, nail-scorn hands and feet and all. This doubt of the bodily resurrection created a crisis of faith for some members of the Corinthian church, a crisis attributed to their surrounding Greek culture and its complicated view of the human body. You see, the Greeks celebrated the human body in art, and they worshipped its beauty. However, the ancient Greeks also believed that the flesh was sinful and that the body was corrupt because of its fleshly desires. The prevailing thought of that day was that the soul was pure and sinless, but it was the flesh that was sinful, and that upon one's death, the body and the soul were separated. But Paul's writing to the Corinthian church did not separate the body and the soul. Instead, Paul wrote about the unification of the body and the soul. The Apostle Paul proclaimed that not only was Jesus raised from the dead completely whole, but that humanity could be as well. This proclamation was the foundation of Paul's faith in Jesus Christ, his Redeemer and our Redeemer. Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the redeemer of you, of me, and of all creation. That redemption that began at the time of Jesus' bodily resurrection from the dead. We are bodies and souls living for redemption. Redemption that began on the first day of the week at early dawn when the stone was rolled away. Redemption that continues in the waters of baptism. Redemption that transforms us from the inside out, from the day of our first breath until the day of our last. Redemption that will continue until the end of time. Redemption that will continue until Jesus comes again. We are living for way more than just this life and this body. We are living for way more than just death and eternal life. We are apostles living to serve a God who is stronger than death. We are living to serve a God who creates life from death. Resurrection is our only hope. Hope for the redemption of our weary bodies and souls. Hope for the redemption of our corrupt systems of injustice. Hope for the healing of our broken relationships with God and with one another. 
Hope for the renewing of our hearts and our minds. Hope for our broken and hurting church. Hope for eternal life with God. Hope for the return of Jesus. Hope for the redemption of all creation. My, oh, my, church, we have a long way to go, don't we? So have faith in Jesus. Have faith in the one who continues to redeem you, even though you are sinful. Redeeming you every single day. The one who purchased and freed you, even though you are sinful. The one whose resurrection makes each and every day possible. Have faith in the one who, by the power of God on the third day, rose again simply to call you his own forever. Amen.